everyone, and welcome to episode 291 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week, plus a special guest. But we're going to kick things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you today? Hey, Seth. Uh, feeling a bit under the weather due to air pollution, but... Uh... <laughs> It's getting better Ugh. today. It's getting better. Uh, that's good. Hopefully it uh, it clears up out there eventually. And, uh, of course, we have another co-host in Krim. How about you? How's the, the air pollution level where you're at? Oh, it is awful. And I feel like my voice is super scratchy because of it. But, yeah, other than the air pollution and then there's the heat. <laughs> yeah. Well, there there is good news. While the air might be polluted and it might be hot, I think Historic might be getting a little less polluted, but we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, yeah. We have a special guest today in Tomer. Tomer, how's the air up in uh, in Canada today? I mean, it's hot, but nothing's on fire, so can't complain. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, is, that is good. I guess. Not on... Not on fire is uh, is usually a good thing, I think. Can I so. complain about the humidity? <laughs> it's hot and humid, which, ugh, is this the worst? Th- that's just, uh, yeah, that's yeah. just where you are. It's always humid. There's no I such know. thing as dry yeah. heat. <laughs> <laughs> I think our weather is pretty similar because it's pretty hot and humid where I am, too. But we have Tomer here today because we're going to talk a lot of Commander today. The big news of the week was Commander Legends and Commander Collection Green, a preview stream over the weekend from Command Fest on Live. So we're going to dig into that. But before we do, we also have a banning in Historic, uh, which yes. we're going to get to. And then, of course, answering your fish mail. So that's kind of the overview for today. But before we jump into it, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And if you've ever had to deal with the time and the hassle of trying to buy list your magic cards, it's a ridiculous amount of work sorting and shipping and typing. It's not a whole lot of fun. Well, Card Conduit, it's the easiest way to sell your magic cards. And if you're looking to avoid all those hassles all that time, this new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder will sort, grade, and sell your magic cards. And once your shipment is processed, you'll get the proceeds minus their fee. And right now, you can get a 10% discount over at cardconduit.com slash goldfish. So thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the podcast today. And uh, let's talk some magic. Let's start with the easy one. We got a lot of commander stuff to get to, but today we got to be in our announcement. Kind of a semi-surprise being our announcement. They announced the announcement, what, like Thursday or something? Uh, but they said we were getting historic changes today. Richard, what was uh, what was our changes in historic? All right. Field of the Dead is banned effective whoa <laughs> shocking surprise I a, a real surprise announcement for a surprise banning wow <laughs> i mean while perhaps not surprising as soon as the announcement of the announcement went up everyone kind of zeroed in on field of the dead is obviously being the choice i mean this was necessary and i'm really thankful that wizards took pretty quick action with field of the dead i was a little nervous that it was going to drag out through, like, the Mythic Invitational, some of the tournaments that are coming up, and make those far less interesting. But Wizards, I mean, they got rid of it quickly, and I think it's a good choice. Of note, it's actually straight up banned, too, which is something you were asking for last week, Krim. Like, uh, just cut out this whole suspension thing for Field of the Dead. We already did that once. Just ban it, be done with it, and it seems like maybe Wizards listened to the podcast a couple of weeks ago and took your advice. I'm I'm surprised. Like, I thought they were just going to ban Field of Ruin or maybe, like, emergency print. <laughs> Autocomplete, did you mean? Uh, or or like maybe. Unbanned. Yeah, 
like, or, or they would emergency print into the format like Tectonic Edge. Maybe this will help. But like, I'm just so happy this is gone because people may think that like, yes, the card is beatable. Like it, it, cause it is, right? Like you can beat it, but like that, it, it pretty much single handedly makes control unplayable. It mid range cannot exist, uh, because you can't go over the top of Field of the Dead. Um, and, and like Massacre Worm, though great, like to, to help fight this, you know, like, I mean, unless you're ramping and into a, like pretty much Massacre Worm meant that you were also playing the deck and it was there to break the mirror. Because if I were playing a normal deck, I, I don't get to six mana. Uh, uh, like in time because they already are online by turn three or four. So if I don't start with Virulent Plague, I'm I'm pretty much done for. And even then, they have Blast Zone, they have Casualties, all this other stuff to like pretty much blow up all your stuff. So like the ramp package, and then followed up by like Ugins and and you know like Ulamogs. It's just it's too efficient in Historic, and our answers just are nowhere near that yet. Maybe in a format like Modern, that's fine. But like here, it is just not a, like not a card you can deal with. Yeah. So I mean, I actually played the Field of the Dead deck uh, before I I was recording it before they announced the BNR. But I uh, I played it because I wanted to see because I had been saying I thought it needed to be banned. But I figured, in fairness, rather than just losing to it a bunch of times and being like, yeah, we gotta ban this. Maybe I should actually play it. And some of the stuff people were saying, like, oh, I think Aggro beats it. It's not really that oh. good. The deck was ridiculously busted. I played, like, aggro multiple times, and it's, like, it's just a joke. The answers people play... I got to the point where it was, I was basically just laughing. Like, when someone, like, Goblin Root Blaster is here, you're just like... <laughs> that's, that, that's cute. Or someone... There are people... And people are going really deep. They were, like, play Crucible of Worlds with, like, a bunch of, like, Field of the uh, field of Ruins and Ghost Quarters. And people would, like, Ghost Quarter you, but then you get a basic land, and you probably already have four Field of the Dead. Yep. So they actually are just, like, making you a bunch of zombies that you then attack and kill them with. So, so yeah, it just... It had to go. Like, playing the deck made me even more convinced that like this is just not what we want the format to be about i'm sure there's probably like some super aggressive deck that maybe has an okay matchup if you get to get a good draw but mid-range pretty much unplayable control pretty much unplayable so i think that the format's gonna uh, get to a healthier spot hopefully with field of the dead being out of it i mean yeah like i i think that was the only thing that really needed to go right and and you know what i'm really happy about that it went into effect almost instantly because I feel like I, I logged in today and I got the announcement immediately. It wasn't like I had to wait like two years for the, you know what I mean, for the, like the banning to actually take effect. So I'm actually pretty happy about that. And, and now you can actually see a somewhat healthy metagame because this was the only thing I felt that needed banning. Uh, I mean, Uro, though, obviously insanely powerful and we don't have things like Path to Exile, but, you know, I, I, I think maybe we can deal with Uro because you can actually interact with that card. Whereas Field of the Dead, it's just like, here, you know, no deck, like, there's no cost for playing the card. Please don't say that it comes in a play tapped and that it adds a colorless is a deck building cost. Cause like, I'm oh. Play tapped, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Right. I mean, I, I'm going to clip uh, this. I would be fu- I, er, I'm going to clip this of okay, Krim good. saying Uro is a fine and balanced magic card. Oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 We're no, going to no, no, hear no. back from Krim in a week or two when the meta has adjusted and it's basically all Uro value piles. Yeah, I wanted to ask, <laughs> is Field of the Dead really the issue or was it ramp? That's something that I've been hearing a bunch, but as someone who doesn't play standard, I want to just rile up Krim a little bit first. Well, okay. Mm. So the ramp is obviously the biggest problem. And it, and it goes it, historic... Standard, whatever, right? It's, 
it is the biggest problem because the package around the, these cards are what makes it so easy. Like, some people are saying, like, Ugin is disgustingly broken. Not really. If you cast Ugin for 8 mana, it's actually a very balanced magic card and should be powerful enough to wipe the board for 8 mana. So, but the thing is, all the enablers around it are what drive me, like, up a wall. It's like, you, and, and in Historic, it only gets worse, right? So, Explore, Uro, like, you know, Hour of Promise, and obviously Growth Spiral. Now, I do not think that Uro is a balanced magic card, but I will count my blessings and say that I at least can, like, maybe hate out the graveyard. Main deck scavenging oozes. Um, you know, like, things like that, sure. But, but like, Field of the Dead, the problem was that I, in order for me to interact with it, I had to play some either ridiculously narrow cards, uh, also hope that it resolved through Pact of Negation, which obviously ramp decks just threw in there because their five mana is, is not really five mana to them. So, <laughs> like, I, th- that's the thing. Like, it just, it just felt like the ramp package, uh, and the way you, like, the, the very few ways you could interact with Field of the Dead. Like, cause like, they're playing a land, you're, you're replacing cards in your sideboard, doing all this other stuff, but they're just going about their day, doing what they were already gonna do anyways. Yeah, I feel like, uh, we've talked about before, how, Part of the problem with the uh, ramp is that so many of the finishers are like drawing cards, so there's not really any fizzle rate anymore with ramp decks because uh, your finishers are like Uros and Hydroid processes that are generating card advantage. So it's really hard to like draw the wrong half of your deck. Your ramp also draws cards in Uro and Grow Spirals. And I feel like Field of the Dead is like the most egregious example of that. My biggest takeaway from playing the deck is uh, once you like play a couple ramp spells, have a couple lands in a field of the dead or two on the battlefield, there's literally no way you can whiff. Like, your yeah. deck, you either draw, like, an absurd finisher, like an Ugin or a Crossus, and that's awesome. You draw land, that's awesome, it makes a bunch of zombies. Or you draw a ramp spell, which gets more lands, which makes even more zombies, which is also awesome. So there's just, like, this absurd level of consistency, and I think because Field of the Dead is a land, I think is a, a huge part of the problem. Like, it got that huge boost of power from Hour of Promise, being able to tutor it up when it was already a really good card. Uh, but we're to the point where the decks don't even play Golos anymore, which was the key <laughs> card of those decks. But that was just like not good enough ramp anymore for for the Field of the Dead decks near the end because our promise was so much better. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just not a not a very enjoyable way for the format to be. Although I will disagree with Krim and say I think Uro is like a problem in basically every format. <laughs> like I, I'm hopeful that Historic's gonna be fun. And I, I've kinda I, I gotten used to that. playing Uro because <laughs> it's in every format and you every other matchup or whatever. But boy, I would I think Magic would be better if that was like just not a card. It's kinda getting a little bit towards the Teferi territory oh, a little while ago where it's like yes, like technically not. you can beat it, but oh boy, Magic is more fun when you don't see that every other game. Do you expect I, I, it to like just take like uh, turn five Ugins just to take over the format now? I mean, so I think the good news is that the deck should be less consistent. I think there will still be a very strong ramp deck in Historic, or there's potential to be, but without Field of the Dead, I feel like you're going to have more games where you draw a bunch of ramp and maybe don't draw your finishers, so I think that the consistency is what hurts the deck, but I do think that there still will be a strong ramp deck in Historic, even without Field of the Dead. 
Yeah, even without field, you still have things to do, right? You can you can just easily go to Ugin and whatnot, and 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 but Anissa's I think, and Ulamogs. So, but then I think maybe you really do lose to Aggro. Like, I think yeah. that's my hope. Is like before people were saying like, oh, you lose to Aggro, but I'm like, wait, I just made like six zombies on turn four. Like, what is your <laughs> red one drop gonna do, opponent? But now that that's off the table, maybe you actually can beat the ramp decks with an Aggro deck sometimes. I. I and and I, I will state once again, I do not think Uro is a fine and, and balanced magic card. I just <laughs> edit the clip, change it to Sega. Andrew, cut this part out. That is, never happened. Cut that, we already it, have it, the soundbite we need. I do <laughs> believe once again, on the record. On the I, I'm pretty sure that's going to be the title of this episode. I, I'm leaning towards. I think so. <laughs> Krim. Uro is a fair advancement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alright, but we should probably move on We have a ton of Commander news So any last quick thoughts on Historic Before we get to all these Commander announcements? Alright, let's uh, let's talk Commander So we got, over the weekend At Command Fest on Live A panel that talked about Commander Legends Which is releasing the beginning of November Also got the full set the uh, Well, eight card set Of Commander Collection Green Which was supposed to come out I think the beginning of September But got pushed back to December Because of the pandemic So let's start with the easy one Let's start with Commander Collection Green Which is, I don't even know Kind of like a hybrid of a Like from the vault almost uh, Being an LGS exclusive And sort of signature spell book To some extent But with Commander cards But uh, Richard what cards are actually coming in Signature uh, Commander Collection Green? <laughs> From the Vault Green. Uh, so Commander From Collection vault, Commander Cle- yeah. <laughs> Green, December 4th, eight cards. Uh, there's going to be a regular version and then a foil version. Uh, we have all eight cards. So Fraley's Lana Wars Fury, uh, Omnath Locus of Mana, Bane of Progress, Seedborn Muse, Sylvan Library, Worldly Tutor, and of course, the greenest of cards, Soul Ring and Command Tower. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, eight cards. Like it's uh, basically a a product where you know what everything is in it, and then they all have new art. Eight cards. I know I won't buy because I this whole collection <laughs> is green. <laughs> where is Veil of Summer? Is my question. <laughs> <laughs> Missed opportunity there. Yeah, may so, as well. <laughs> So I gotta say, I'm pretty impressed with this product. I was just like looking through these cards and kind of looking them up on EDH Rec to see just how much of Commander staples they really are. And I believe like all these cards are top 100 green cards. Sylvan Libraries like top 15, Worldly Tutors top 30. Uh, Sylvan Library and Worldly Tutor are also really expensive. Uh, even the Commanders like Fraley's isn't super popular, but it's in the top like I think 11th most popular Commander. And Omnath is like number four. So I mean, Bane. Wizards did do. Bane is in the top like 70, I think. Seedborn Muse is also in the top 50. Uh, Soul Ring is like number one card. Command Tower number one land. So these are all like legitimate commander staples. Uh, were you guys happy with this overall? Like we knew it was coming. Did this meet your expectations, Tomer? Um, I, I'm personally very happy with the selection. Like, like you said, all these cards are heavily played. Um, some are a little bit more niche than others, like Fraley's, you don't see as much, but for people who play Fraley's Commander decks or just have mono green super friends or something similar like that, that's really good. I like the artwork on all of them, and I really appreciate the fact that uh, there's a foil and non-foil version of all these cards. 
Um, that that announcement made me very happy, um, especially if like the foiling is like secret lair style uh, foiling. <laughs> then no, thank you. Um, if I want nice, big, cool, special art, then you get the non-foil version. So that makes me happy. There were a couple cards though that uh, kind of made me a little bit surprised. I'm not really sure how I feel about them, uh, specifically Command Tower and Soul Ring, uh, because my idea on these cards is that like. Are these geared towards mono green decks? Are they geared just to people who like green? Um, if you're in a mono green deck, for example, and you want like a green flavored command tower, the only problem here is that mono green doesn't run command tower. <laughs> so like, Yelp. who's the target demographic for a green centric command tower? Is it, are you just like, a, are you giving it to people who play multi-pillar decks that are secretly like just Green fanboys? That one's a weird one. (laughs) Like Krim, he'll play that in all his... That'll be your command tower of choice, right, Krim? Uh, That's my favorite one. I mean... You you love the color so much, yeah. I actually already pre-ordered this. Uh, You know, like, (laughs) really, totally, clearly. Like, I... The one, for sure. Oh, please, yes. No, like, I, I kind of don't understand the purpose. I actually don't really like command tower in the set. Um, I, I, I think that could have just been another card. I don't think we needed another command tower in this. So, I mean, like, it, yeah, like, like Tomer said, if, is this catered towards mono green players? Cause no one, I don't, I don't know a, like a mono color deck that needs command tower. Um, so I, I, I thought maybe like even, even something like Sky Shroud claim like promo would have been like something better, right? Cause I mean, I, I yeah. see a lot more of that, uh, than I would this or, or, or how about growing rights of, uh, like, you know, Whatever it it Lamak, I don't remember that, that yeah. thing. To yeah. celebrate the Gaius Cradle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How funny would that be? Uh, <laughs> so we reprinted this. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much I mean, Cradle. I feel like I also feel like Soaring Command Tower don't really fit, and maybe they're like kind of a bit of a cop out to avoid printing like Too many more cards. cards that mattered yeah. or something literally so, like, just literally yeah, put yeah, any yeah. green yeah. cards sacro tribe elder carpet of flowers anything. would have been cool so but. these cards that i own from like every pre-con ever and the way they talked about it, it sounds like soul ring and command tower will be in every commander collection so if we, you buy yeah, green, then you, you buy have blue. Cards. You have more. I, I am excited for for right. the blue one. I mean, I I do yeah. like the soul ring art though. So I, I guess like that one's fine. But I really just don't understand the command tower because like yeah. you, can, you can't like everyone loves a soul ring. So why not make a soul ring that's catered towards a specific color? Yeah, that's cool. I can get down with that. But I I the command tower is like mm. yeah. I I, I I like the soul ring one. Like even mono green decks are gonna happily run. Soul Rings, like it's just the best card, so why wouldn't you? Just the Command Tower, though, it feels I don't know why it's there. Like green, like mono green decks are not going to run in, and even like maybe two color green decks, you'll yeah you'll run it, but like are you? What what people are are interested in this green flavored command? I don't know. It's weird. I will say I am thankful that Wizards has realized how important it is to keep reprinting Soul Ring Command Tower mm-hmm. because I don't, I think people underestimate like sometimes how much continual reprintings do to keep the prices of cards down. Like, could you imagine if they took even a year or two off of like reprinting Soul Ring three times a year or whatever it is on average, like the price would skyrocket so quickly because not only does every commander player need one, every commander player needs one for essentially every deck. So you're talking like multiple copies. So the demand is ridiculously high. So even though 
I don't really like Soul Ring and Command Tower in this product in specific. I am thankful that Wizards is really aggressively reprinting them because the price could get out hand really quickly if they ever kind of eased up on the reprints. It's reprinted every single year, and it it, it will always <laughs> slowly creep up over four dollars before the next reprint. It's still and like, that's, like yeah. what, like four bucks, right? The five bucks. Yeah, it's a four dollar card, and it yeah. it always steadily creeps up until the next year where it gets reprinted, and then it goes back down to like you know three dollars and fifty cents, and then it just creeps up again. Like if they just skip one one year, if they skip one year, you're gonna see spikes, and that's kind of crazy considering how much supply there is. If if they also get new new artwork every time, I wouldn't hate that either, right? Like I think that's pretty cool. So one more Commander Collection Green question before we talk Commander Legends. So I added up the price of all these cards uh, using just the cheapest, you know, non-foil random versions. It was like 160 bucks. So you're getting like 160 dollars worth of value. This is a LGS exclusive from everything we know. That's what Wizards said. It's a LGS exclusive, so you're not going to be able to just grab it at your big box store. In that way, it's like sort of similar to From the Vaults in that it's only being released through local game stores. Plus, the foil versions are only at WPN premium stores. So even a smaller subset of local game stores will get the foil versions. How much do you think these are going to cost? Like, how much would you be willing to pay for non-foil and then foil version of Commander Collection Green? I, I want this to be like every other spell book, so like 35 bucks. But, <laughs> but I think this will probably sit around maybe like $60, about double that, 60 to $70. Um, I mean, I, that, one can only hope. I, but I have this odd feeling it's going to be like 100 I... I think for the foil one, it's going to be 100 Because just keep in mind that Worldly Tutor is currently sitting at $34 US um, at the time of this recording. And you, it's you never had... US. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> for, for all of us, it's $35 US, just to be <laughs> silly. In my Canadian... My, and that's like the $150 in Canadian land money. Anyway. Canadian uh, land money. <laughs> a lot of loonies make that up, you know? A lot of loonies for the Canadians out there. You can bring the toonies for me, Tober. Yeah. That's a lot of toonies, eh? Quick, How about quick, that? Quick point out um, that I, my, I, I tried to tr- I tried to get a dollar bill back for like <laughs> with my loonies. I felt very very American. Oh, we lost that a long time ago. <laughs> uh, but so the worldly tutor never has had it's it's a thirty four dollar card. It's never had a foil printing, and it's a commander staple. So I would expect. Starting price on that, maybe like $50, and we'll see how, how low it drops. Again, like, it is a commander staple. It's one of the best tutors in the entire format, and it's never seen a foil printing before. And I don't know how generous they're going to be with future reprints on that, and we don't know the supply on that. So I would expect the foil ones to be at least $100 US starting price, but I don't know. I don't know supply. I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns still. Hmm. I... I am very scared of the price on this. My expect, I would think that non-foils, I'm guessing, are going to be around $100 would be my guess, like probably $80 to $100. And I wouldn't be surprised if foils were like $250-$300. I think the foils are going to be extremely expensive, which I guess it's good that they printed foils and non-foils, so there will be like hopefully a cheaper version available. But with only WPM premium stores getting access to the foils, I think those are going to be really steep. 
Especially if it's, well, yeah, it also depends on the from the vault foiling or not. I think that kind of hurt the prices <laughs> on those a bit. But if it was, imagine if it was like the it's nice foiling. It's always from the vault know? foiling, no? O- only uh, like no, our no. main set gets the good foiling, no? How good how foiling. has the foiling been on Signature Spellbook? Is that like from the vault foiling or no, is that good foiling? It, it's better than, like, because the, or I mean, at least from my experience right now, I mean, my, my J Spellbook stuff is, it's not warped. It's actually still straight. I, I I love it. It's not it's not pringled up, curled up, or anything like that. Wait, you're telling right me Spellbook has better printing than Secret Lair? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. I mean, I, I I don't know. I yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like my Secret Layers haven't had any issues either. But the things that I have had issues with were the box toppers. And maybe because like because I don't know about about you, Richard, but like the heat. I think I all my box toppers almost like curled. Like they're 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 beyond the Pringle. They're like a taco now. So like and, and like I didn't even they're underneath some stuff too. Like they, they're on, under a stack of cards, but like the heat here just made it so bad that those Pringled up. So if it's like the spell like J Spellbook one, then I I'm okay with that. All right, so that's Commander Collection Green, but that's only a small part of the Commander announcement we got over the weekend. The main event was a first look at Commander Legends, a set that we've been kind of, we've known about for a while. We've kind of been wondering about releasing, I guess pre-releases, I think October 30th, first week in November, factual release. It's a Commander draft set, uh, 20 card boosters. You actually like kind of draft a, a brawl-ish size Commander deck, a 60 card uh, deck. So uh, we got a bunch of spoilers, a bunch of information about the set. Richard, uh, why don't you walk us through some commander legend stuff all right so releasing in november november 6th to be exact it's the first draftable commander so we're gonna find out the intersection between draft players and commander players but like seth said 20 card packs okay each pack has two legendaries and a foil you draft uh in pods of eight there are you you take two cards from every pack and the deck you build is a 60 card deck uh, non-singleton. So, like, in Limited, you can play more than four of any card. In Commander Legends Draft, you can play more than one of any card. Uh, but the rest of the Commander rules apply. So, 40 life, Commander damage, color identity, all there. Uh, they added a common Commander uh, so that you won't end up with a draft without a Commander. Uh, this also enables Popper Commander, if you care about that. Uh, and then the the set itself, 71 new legends, uh, 41 monocolored partners. So there are a lot of new partners. Sweet. And 30 non-partner, uh, two or three color legends. And then uh, we're also Pokemon now. We have new etched foils, a new type of I foiling. am so happy. <laughs> they look uh, sick. <laughs> each legendary gets a new etched foil version. And then there will be 32 commanders who are not in the main set uh, will also get an etched foil printing as well. So I, I am so happy for that. So that's all the news. And then they also dropped a bunch of cards for us. Uh, so first off the bat, we have the rest of the battle bond cycle. So Yay. these are the lands that enter tapped unless you have two or more opponents. So basically, as long as the table is still alive, there are untapped dual lands. Um, thoughts on our Battlebond lands. <laughs> I, I mean, the Battlebond lands are great. Like, oh, wow. they are... I, 
I think one of the best, uh, maybe the best multiplayer land cycle that Wizards has printed. Like they're so perfect. I hope that they are inexpensive. I think that's a big question. We've seen some of the original ones. Like when I first saw them, I'm like, oh, these are going to be awesome budget lands. But the the BattleBot <laughs> like ones are bucks. actually creeping up to yeah like shock land prices like they're they're actually not budget friendly but maybe this commander legends printing will be big enough that they'll actually be somewhat accessible maybe at least semi-budget friendly but they're definitely great right oh yeah i'm i'm so excited because now like we like we've been needing like is it lands right like the Mm -hmm. The blue-red, like, like lands are a little short. I mean, we had, like, Sulfur Falls and, like, I'm forced to use, like, Cascade Bluffs, but this is, this is, like, definitely something needed, and I'm excited. It's, it's unfortunate, like, you know, that these don't have the land types, but you know what? It's fine. That's fine. That's just dual lands, right? So, whatever. Yeah, it's, we always need a little bit more enemy-colored lands. There's more ally-colored lands in the game for good fixing. And these are just perfect. They're they're not overpowered in like other formats. They're made for multiplayer. They have a very clean design. I'm really happy with it. Yeah, like they don't they don't have the basic land type, so you can't fetch them up. But it's more fixing. It's great in two color decks, three color decks, um, potentially even like some four color decks. Uh, so yeah. before we get to the the rest of the cards, what do you guys think about the draft format? Is this something you'd play? Uh, the other thing I forgot to mention is you draft in pods of eight, and then you split into two pods of four and play uh, regular commander. Uh, I don't play limited already, um, and like I, I, I would try it. I would try it, but I can't see me enjoying it either. I am so excited for this. Oh my goodness. I love drafting and I love Commander and they put the two together and it looks so fun. And I have a lot of friends who are like super not like uh, hardcore Commander players. They play like a couple times per year and you know like just keeping up with all the cards and everything is kind of a chore. And so sometimes I get like I do like a corset draft or something with them. This is like this is like way better than that. You get you get your commander fix, but you have like a tight format um, that's limited, easier to understand cards. Hopefully, you build your deck so you have some more familiarity with it. It's just yeah, this is great. I re- I'm so excited for this for this for drafting. This is this is right up my alley. I'm yeah 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 really really happy. I'm really excited for it too, and I'm really thankful and somewhat surprised. That they're actually putting it on Magic Online. I think one of the saddest things about the Year of Commander has been just the timing of it's been really unfortunate with all the pandemic stuff and no like command fests, uh, no in person command fests, and like uh, uh, the draft set for Commander Legends seems like such a fun way to play Magic with your friends. It's just a really hard time to actually get together with people and play magic in a lot of places so i think it sounds like a really fun format and i'm definitely excited uh to be able to try it out on magic online at a minimum but i think it'll be pretty popular it sounds unique it sounds fun and i mean people love draft and they love commander so it seems like mashing them together should be uh, a good fit my brain can't comprehend it working properly on Magic Online. <laughs> Knowing yeah. what I know about the clients, it's like, how? It, it like, should work. There's no way they're going to say, you know, we're at least going to Magic Online, like, as a draftable set, and oh then it, it, like, not work. That'd be ridiculous. I, I want it to work so badly, but knowing that, like, half our Commander Clash games end up with uh, MTGO winning 
Um, <laughs> oh boy, I really, I really hope, I really, like, I will play so much of it online. I'm going to get my friends to play with me online, too, during the pandemic. Like, I'm so excited for it. I just, I really, really hope Wizards of the Coast get it working properly online. Like, that would make me so happy. So, I feel like... It will not be that popular. To me, draft is like the spikiest of spike formats. And I don't know if, I, if that's the correct read on it. But like draft is a lot less popular than, say, standard. Even though theoretically, like if you were returning to magic or new to magic, you can just hop into a game of, you know, a draft and then play. But then if you're new to magic, you're not going to draft a coherent deck and then your deck will be terrible and you're going to have a bad time. So to me, like draft is one of those things where. You have to be super spiky. You need to like know all the cards. You need to be able to identify the cards. Uh, for example, if you don't know what any of the cards are, you get past the pack, you're gonna spend like literally 10 minutes just reading every single card, right? And understanding what it does. Uh, whereas a spike would just look at the art and know every single thing immediately. <laughs> so to me, draft is super spiky. So it's interesting to see what this product that's like you know spike cross casual ends up being uh so it'll be interesting to see what happens with this uh but i feel a lot of people will just buy the collector boosters and just like crack packs use them for commander decks and things like that uh but That's yeah fair. like how do you how do you know what themes are support like how do you know if you can draft like you know uh, a zombie deck or not are there enough zombie things you need to know like basically the whole set and the set is huge uh, so it's yep. it's interesting. Uh, what do you guys think about sixty card decks, non singleton? I know a lot of people are like, uh, "Is this even commander anymore?" <laughs> uh, what do you what do you guys think about that? That's what my normal draft decks are. So, <laughs> 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 so what, what do you mean? <laughs> I think I think it's I think... necessary. Like when you build a when you have a standard deck, you have sixty cards and you have like a card limit. But when you draft, it's forty cards and you don't have a card limit. Like that's kind recommended. Of how... Recommended for recommended, of course. <laughs> but like that's that's kind of just like how drafts are. You can't really like drafting a hundred card deck would be, I think, an exhausting process and probably just like uh, complexity overload. Overload. So just having it to sixty and no dupl- uh, duplicates are allowed and all that stuff. Like that's just necessary for you know doing a draft format i think you gotta let duplicates be allowed because there would be a really big feel bad could you imagine if they put i don't know mana crypt in the set or something and you open one and draft it and then like the next pack you open one and you're like oh like okay i i guess i can't take this hundred dollar card because it would be like against the rules i mean i guess you could take it and not play it but still that would be a pretty feel bad moment i think uh to not be able to pick cards that you want to have for your commander collection because of the rules of limited so i think that uh I think that that's good. And I think because the packs are 20 cards, 60 card decks kind of make sense. The ratio is like pretty similar. If you open three 15 card packs and you build a 40 card deck or three 20 card packs and build a 60 card deck. So I think that's a good, a good number. Uh, it is commander ish, uh, bigger than normal, but still not overwhelming as Tomer mentioned, which could happen with a hundred cards. Uh, I just want to throw out that we are drafting two cards per pack as well. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I blanked out. But yeah, usually you draft one, so now you can draft two. So I think it makes it also a little bit easier to uh, stick with, like, uh, to, to make it easier to draft, where you can take the two favorite cards from each pack instead of just one. I think it makes the choices a little bit easier and more forgiving. So I'm fine with 60 cards, but Singleton, I think, is super important. 
um, you could build a standard deck like using this methodology, right? Like you could make 4X of like all key staples and build what effectively is a standard deck with a companion. Uh, so I, I don't like that. And I do like the fact that Singleton forces you to spread the power. Like whatever the good card is, if you already have one, there's no reason for you to take the second one because you can't play it. So it spreads that power out amongst the table and hopefully makes all the decks um, fair because this is not standard, right? In standard, you want all the good cards. You want everyone's deck to be miserable and your deck to be the best. <laughs> this is commander, right? You don't want that to happen really, right? You want all the decks to be fair and balanced. So Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, to, <laughs> to be completely honest, I, I think with the way EDH plays, though it is singleton, there are enough tutors and redundant effects to make it so that it's really not like singleton singleton, right? Like, you'll see the same demonic tutor casted 50 times. So, mm. like, I'm, I'm not too worried about it when it comes to that aspect of the, the game. And, I mean, it's a larger than normal set. I think it's, what, 330 unique cards or something. So I think, like, I don't know. The odds of you opening the same bomb rare, it's going to happen once in a while, but I don't think it's going to come up too often for the most part, just because it's a big set size. Yeah. So it seems like maybe, like, sure, maybe you'll have two commander spheres or something, and then, like, whatever like does that actually make draft worse i don't really think so Yo, i want to see turn like... one soul ring it's a soul ring, it's a soul ring. <laughs> <laughs> soul ring turn two Ugin. hi guys it is standard <laughs> they actually mentioned that in the in the panel they said two things they said because it's such a large set it's very unlikely you're going to see uh doubles in your pods and also that the reason why they removed the singleton rule is just because uh, I think they said playtesting. They, they said they wanted to avoid uh, situations where, you know, you accidentally draft a second copy and now you can't run it and it, it's a big feels bad. So those were the reason. I, I agree with it. I think I think it's it's fine. All right. Shall we move on to some actual cards? Um, so it was revealed last week that uh baron singer is back in the in the in the in the set our favorite mm. oh what is he from homelands i don't remember anymore homelands yeah uh, favorite my favorite Count dracula knockoff <laughs> my favorite uh so here we have singer the dark baron four black black four four legendary creature vampire noble flying when another creature dies put two plus one plus one counters on singer the Dark Baron, when another player loses the game, you gain life equal to that player's life total as the turn began. Partner. Boom, right there. Partner. Partner. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> what we do in Innistrad's Shadows. There we go, the hit TV show. I am so excited for for this card. I mean, I I, I think he also, like, they got a promo art um, that was done by the original artist, right? Yeah, that was sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and apparently that was uh, the artist that made that happen. Like, he heard about the set, and he reached out to Wizards, was like, hey, will you let me do an art for this card, please? And they said yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least we got it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's Um, funny that he had to ask for it. (laughs) Yeah. I would have liked to see the old template on it, though, like the old uh, overlay. But, you know, I still appreciate the gesture. So... 
what do you think about partners returning? Like good or bad, up or down? I I I, th- I think this is an up for me because I've that was the main thing I had before, right? I, I first off I wanted mo- like mono colored uh, commanders that had partner on them, and the fact that they gave us like a bajillion new variations and like mixtures of like like partners has me pretty excited. So this just gives me more things to do, more of like build my own partner team up as opposed to before. Like the old ones, they all uh, like they were all I don't know they they, they kind of just they kind of locked me into some stuff and I and I felt like I just didn't want to do that and like now I can have like a demir partner like commander right and I think that's really cool so it gives me more access to more color combinations that I want and this is gonna be multiple demir partners now you don't have to be like okay these are the two partners that I yeah. use to make a demir deck you're gonna have a couple different ones and that's that's what that has me so excited about it right like I I love that I love that so isn't partner strictly better than non-partner like you get two cards instead of one the commander tax is different so you can avoid the commander like isn't it just like if you have the choice shouldn't you play partners over a normal commander well, not, not the, always the, the actual card right yeah the effect yeah. It gives yeah. you but yeah like given if the effects are similar two two partners are always better right because they split yeah. the tax you have uh different plays on your curve like typically your commanders different things and then like crim said you can choose whatever combination you want. Um, personally, so Singer the Dark Baron, I think sucks. Uh, what the heck? <laughs> like, I was expecting like some kind of Edgar Markov type thing, but like... Oh, until, no. Until you kill us all with him, with Noble Tribal. We know how this goes, Richard. <laughs> really Wait, doesn't bad. this work with like, Vito? Wait, this I, works I really, with Vito, right? Like, the, the trigger... The trigger? It does, yeah. but you have to kill someone to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> I did find out about the attack step, as I had mentioned before, in the last <laughs> episode of Commander Clash, so... Sorry, I, I mean, I'm into this whole business. For the greater good. <laughs> if, if another player needs to lose the game, the effect needs to be huge. Like, it needs to be, like, you mind-slaver them for a turn <laughs> at zero life, or something like that, right? Like, uh, some kind of zombie... Uh, thing, but like you gain some life, you get some plus one. It's like the Haunt of High Tower, which was actually a pretty good card. But you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was say. <laughs> the Dark Baron, like okay, yeah, you can like make it huge if you like sack a bunch of tokens, but like not very exciting for six mana. But on the subject of partners, I actually absolutely hate partners. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe they could have made the original partners and like left it at that. That's fine. But to continually add partners, I think it takes away from the point of commander. And the point of commander is to have a deck restriction, right? Uh to have a deck restriction and to play to that deck restriction. And that restriction comes from your commander and its abilities. But now you can just mix and match commanders to get whatever color combination you want. And then whatever abilities you want to best suit your game plan. So it makes it easier to make a deck, but like that's not it's it's like I don't know, it's like a Seth deck, right? Like you don't plan on casting your commander. <laughs> it has some like benefit to you, card. but you're just you're just doing whatever you want, right? Like Sad you're not out. like I'm building a dragon deck and everything in my deck is <laughs> dragons, right? So I actually don't like partners. I feel that restriction is part of the magic of EDH. Like we, we see this with like Vile Smasher and like uh, you know all, all all of those commanders where you're like I don't know what that deck is right it's just like I put them here for colors and it's like really strong and yeah there there it is right so yeah I don't think that's fair I, I, oh every single time I see a Vile Smasher show up it's like Vile Smasher comes out and then they play 
really big spells that have high converted mana costs for very cheap. So you run like delve spells like Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise, maximize the damage with Vile Smasher. I think like a lot of the partners end up being played when they're in their decks. Like Lord knows how many Thrasios decks there are out there. <laughs> they definitely play their commander. It's not fun for anyone. Boy. So, I also dislike partners, but kind of for a different reason. My concern is, I feel like if you have so many partner com uh, combinations and so many partner options, and partners are, in general, uh, everything else equal, better than non-partners, I feel like a lot of just, like, cool old legends are going to see less and less play and just disappear. And I feel like... If this is a path we go down, it, it's kind of the same concern with, like, uh, Arcane Signets and stuff like that. Like, if we just keep going down this path of, like, cards designed specifically for Commander, eventually you're just uh, going to be playing all stuff that was printed in the, like, Commander supplemental product era of Commander because none of the old stuff is as good as the stuff that Wizards made specifically for Commander. And I feel like having a million... Uh, partners is going to like push us further down that road. But isn't that like the thing about Commander though? That's not always the case, right? I mean, like some people will just build around us. Like example, I want to build around the Baron deck just because it's like funny, right? So like it's just a funny <laughs> card. So I mean, I it just kind of comes down to how the person plays Commander too. Mm. Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts, obviously, because. Uh... I also wrote an article. It's out. It's specifically on partners. So check that out if you want to see me rambling for 15 minutes. But I, I, so, so I kind of agree that like commanders kind of like self, self correcting where the play group dictates the power levels that you want. But I feel like that's not the fairest argument because. I think the products do dictate what people are bringing to the table largely. Like if you bring, if, if Wizards of the Coast just prints like the strongest commander for X style deck, there's a big pressure on play groups or peop, individual people to, to switch, you know, their option over to that strongest card because like, why wouldn't you? Like everybody wants, like, even though everybody's playing casually or at their own power level, everybody wants to optimize to some degree. Everybody's trying to win the game to some degree. So if I like, let's say I just make a werewolf deck and it has a werewolf commander like Ulrich, um, and then Wizard of the Coast just prints a werewolf commander that is like five color werewolves and is just like insanity and just wins you the game a thousand different ways. It's like, I'm literally handicapping myself because I didn't switch over to that new one. I think the best example of that is like Najila versus any other warrior deck. There were other warrior commanders before Najila, but then Najila showed up and it's like, hi, I'm five color. I have infinite combos. I have a degenerated combat step. I'm the best warrior commander of all time. And if you pick anything else, you're wrong. And it's just like, yeah, there you could you could pick the other warrior tr commanders. They're out there, and your play group can do whatever you want because commander is whatever you want. But really. People are going to pick that Najila deck. <laughs> it's just going to be everywhere. And then you're just like, ugh, Najila everywhere. That's that's my opinion on, on the power group there. Okay. I just... I just <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> let's, let's talk about partners. We They actually gave ah. us more partners. Uh, Alina, Kessig Trapper. Speaking of Innistrad and Werewolves from Kessig. Uh, well, it's not a werewolf, but it's from Kessig. Uh, legendary creature, human scout... 
uh, four to red, so five CMC, four, three, first strike, tap, add an amount of red mana equal to the greatest power among creatures you control that enter the battlefield this turn. Partner. Partner with Helena. Kessing Ranger. Three in the green, three, four. Legendary creature, human archer, reach. Whenever another creature enters a battlefield under your control, you may pay two. When you do, that creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature partner. So these are our uh, two new partners designed to go together uh, from Innistrad. So they've also started making cards for creatures not creatures, uh, characters referenced in flavor text and stories uh, from past sets. So doesn't it seem like these should have partner with? Like, doesn't it seem like they're designed to go together? Like, everything about them? They're kind like, of a couple I, even in the, the storyline, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it seems like partner with is a good, like, fixed way to have partners that alleviates a lot of my concerns about partners. So it's a little weird to me that they they wouldn't have at least this partner pairing have partner with. As far as... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I like the flavor text of Alita Kessick Travers. Like, Halana and I have a bond that'll never be broken. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like Halana's like, yeah, I'm pairing up with Senjir. Uh, I'm sorry, but it's <laughs> yeah, not sorry. working out for us anymore. <laughs> He's oh, a dark pairing, you know? Like, so. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> I mean,. So the cards themselves, meh. I think uh, Elena's, Elena's interesting. Like the mana uh, producing ability kind of mm. maybe lets you like play an extra spell for free. If you go like untap shenanigans, it can make a lot of mana. Yeah. Uh, Helena though, meh, like seems pretty bad to me. I don't think I would ever play it. What? Isn't Helena pretty good? <laughs> you just like, I mean, okay, it's a partner. So it's not your only commander, right? So you're going to have a real commander. Uh, <laughs> oh my so if you play a good commander, then okay. But now I you see. get to pay two mana and just fight anything, right? That's pretty decent. No, I, remember I, all the times we need some target removal. Well, here you go, right? It's better than a fight. It just deals with power, so they don't they don't ever trade. Yeah, I think. I mean, they're also uncommon, so I think they're they were meant ideally for limited. Like Gavin mentioned on the panel that not all the not all the partner commanders are going to be for constructed or they're not going to be aimed for constructed some of them are going to have a home in limited i think these two are more geared towards limited though like alina does have combo potential of untapped shenanigans and Helena, i think it's absolutely fine do you pay two mana and green now has a way to deal direct damage with its creatures that's that's good that's a little bit of like a color I, <laughs> band, I guess i guess it's cool if you're playing like peasant commander or like something like something where you're trying to avoid rares in specific having a bunch more uncommon legends is cool the disrespect yeah, to the casting ranger okay i think, I think they're both <laughs> speaking neat. of popper and peasant uh we didn't talk about this card the prismatic piper so to ensure you always have a functional deck unlimited they've added a common commander five mana three three legendary creature shapeshifter if Prismatic Piper is your commander, choose a color before the game starts. Prismatic Piper is the chosen color. Partner. Can you partner yes. with yourself? <laughs> no. Can you, like, have two of these? Like, two Prismatic Pipers? Yeah. Well, no, you, no, wait, your deck is no, not no, singleton. But you can, because yeah, it's yeah, draft. It can't be singleton. But it's draft. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, oh, you can have draft, two Pipers. You can have it, double draft, Prismatic yes. Piper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you can make you whatever you want. You okay. So you okay. can live the, but, the double Piper dream, Seb. <laughs> I that that's probably going to be my technique since I don't cast my commander anyway. It's just <laughs> yeah. it's just there for color identity as I draft a, an actual deck. <laughs> yeah, you just picked it for the art. 
I'm, I'm going to make uh, a tribal deck is by great. drafting 40 prismatic pipers. All <laughs> <laughs> shapeshifters. I think, honestly, so, I mean, like, it's like the Yargle meme is going to be coming yeah. up. Like, yep. this is a new Yargle. It's the Piper. You're going to be like, Voltron Tribal, dude-dude. You know? Like, <laughs> win with Piper, and that's it. Because who cares? Break, did I, we break it? <laughs> yeah. So, so outside of memes, like, this has no real applications for outside of draft, right? Like, there's no reason you'd ever play this over another commander outside of, or uh, over another partner. It's a shapeshifter. Outside of, like, the memes. It's a shapeshifter. I can make any tribe, depends how many partner tribal commanders there are, <laughs> but you can add a color to your tribal decks. Shapeshifter it's, tribal. It is apparently it's sweet. Apparently it's not any creature type. Wait, I not? thought that <laughs> too. No, but shapeshifter oh, is actually its creature type, yeah. Oh, so if you're building shapeshifter tribal, but yeah. yeah. No, garbage. I, I initially thought that too. It's for the memes. <laughs> oh, it's for the memes. It's, it's so you I, don't get targeted. You're playing like a really oppressive like mono red deck. You just put like prismatic piper out. <laughs> no, I'd be, I'd be afraid if somebody <laughs> dropped piper on me. Because I'd be like, what? what? unfathomable Lovecraftian horror is that Piper about to summon on the table. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason they picked it, right? This would be the perfect, like, uh, rat colony deck or something. Oh my gosh. Or, or uh, what, what's the, uh, the mill, the, the mill dudes, the, the blue one. Uh, uh, oh, persistent. Yeah, the petitioners. Like, haha, I was a mill deck. Yeah, like, I mean, I, you're not it doesn't that. give away information. Like, no one, when you reveal this, like, no one knows what your deck's about. So, I guess if you're worried about people killing you first because of your overpowered commander, like, <laughs> yep. you don't have a commander. <laughs> <laughs> it's your commander. You got, it's your commander. Uh, sort of. Watch out, it's a five one. mana three three. It's better than skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> it's the strongest skeleton out there, honestly. All right. Uh, last card. Okay. So, command spheres in the deck. Uh, in the in the set, who cares? Uh, yeah. Last card, okay. One thing, one thing they said was they've heard all of our complaints about white, and they're fixing white, okay. And it's gonna take a couple of years, but they're gonna fix white. And their first step was cartographer's hawk, okay. Uh, <laughs> the second step, the second Love step is card. this card ah. here. Keeper of the Accord, three no white, a three four human soldier. At the beginning of each opponent's end step, if that player controls more creatures than you, create a one one white soldier creature token. At the beginning of each opponent's end step, if that player controls more lands than you, you may search your library for basic planes, put it on the battlefield tapped, and shuffle your library. I, I think this card is sweet. I think it's a cool card. Pretty powerful. I I, I like that. I, I think my the biggest thing about it for me is that I really like that uh it can allow white to kind of like do the catch up mechanic, which some would say is not great. I, th- I think I don't know, Tomer. <laughs> what, what do you think about the catch up mechanic? I think yeah. you didn't like Cartographer's Hawk, so I I, I enjoyed tar- Cartographer's Hawk. So this is going to be a little bit more of that, right? Did you like the um the three mana first striking human verb rangers? Not. No. Okay. <laughs> not like. <laughs> All right, I I, I, could, I could go on a long thing, but we have like two minutes. I'll keep it short. Very brief uh, thing on this. Keeper of the Court, I think, is a really good card. Uh, really good solo card. Nice to include in basically any mono-white deck. Not really good in dual-color dual decks because it's basic planes, but I mean, maybe like dual-color white as well, like Boros. Good card. Happy it's there. However, really do not like 
all this emphasis on catch-up mechanics in white. There's a very limited space you can have in a white deck for catch-up mechanics. It's good in theory, but they cannibalize each other. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, if I run Keeper of the Cord, then it turns off my Net of the White Orchid. It turns off my Cartographer's Arc. It turns off my Land Tax. All these things are fighting for the same space. Instead, catch-up mechanics should be working together with each other. So instead of finding a Plains, for example, just make a gold coin, you know? Make a gold token. Is it worse by itself? Yes. But it doesn't shut off my cartographer. It doesn't shut off my land tags. It doesn't shut off all these other cards that are all doing the exact same thing. And maybe, maybe Wizards of the Coast should give white players agency over their own ramp and over their own card draw like literally every other color has give white agency in doing cool things instead of relying on your opponents to be better than you. Ah. I mean, <laughs> I, on the other hand, if you're playing a mono-white commander deck, you're almost assuredly going to be super far behind, so you are going to get a ton of value out of this. <laughs> like, it's, I feel like it's perfectly, perfectly on point for white decks if you if you so choose the torture of playing mono white and commander. Is there yeah. any any like concern about like example the color pie, if you would? Yeah, yeah, we've seen green and their their choice. I mean, on the green color green pie. is not green is not like trust me. I I am the one person you don't got to tell that to. So like, <laughs> all right, but in, like in, with, in to not be to not be mean about it with green, but like let's say let's say blue is the best color at drawing cards, right? Undisputed best color at drawing cards, so they will have the best card draw options. And it will, the emphasis here is unrestricted card draw. Blue does not have to jump through any hoops. They do not have any special restrictions. However, a card that I like that is part of the color, like not a color bend or anything in green, green has a lot of ways to draw a bunch of cards, but they're all reliant on creatures. Uh, cards like Hunter's Insight, Hunter's Prowess, Rishkar's Expertise, Garruk's uh, Return of the Wild Speaker, all of these say like draw cards equal to the, the greatest power of creatures you control or draw cards equal to the amount of damage target creature does this turn. You could draw, like, I've drawn, like, 12 cards off Return of the Riot Speaker. It's just an absurd amount. Way more than any blue spell I've ever really cast, honestly. Other than, like, Peer Through the Depths or something like that. Um, or whatever, the thing that draws all your entire library. You can draw, like, a billion green cards. You can draw, draw a billion cards in green off creatures. That's a restriction. You have to have creatures. So if like and all uh, all colors can do that like black if you have a thing that says draw a card whenever uh, a creature dies or you sacrifice a creature draw a card they have tons of that you can draw like twenty plus cards in black off that too red has their own stuff with impulse draw every color has ways to draw a lot of cards which they're not it's not their primary thing that they're good at but you know it's something that they can be good at if they jump through a specific hoop that their color is good at doing the only color that doesn't do that really is white white has like mentor of the meek which mark rosewater went on record saying that was a color mistake that was a color bent <laughs> mistake so we're not getting that anymore and it's like White does not have a lot of options to actually be proactive and jump through a hoop to draw a bunch of cards. It's just not there. You have Sage's Reverie, you have Mentor of the Meek, and that's pretty much it, I guess. And like, same with Ramp. Like, 
if you're giving white ramp, if you want white to be like a secondary good color at ramp for planes or something, then give them a way to set up their own good ramp options. Just like black is not necessarily good at ramping, but they have Cabal Coffers, they have Magus of the Coffers, they have all these like mana, black mana doubling effects that are good in that color. White just not have, does not have that. They do not have agency. They have only catch up mechanics. They have catch up mechanics for draw. They have catch up mechanics for ramp. It's fine in small doses, but let them be good at these options if they do something white. That's that is that's me. I'm gonna stop talking. So I think catch up mechanics are okay. I think this card is just not that good. Like it's what? too. It's too, it's oh it's okay. It's good, but it's not like the end all. And I don't know if I would auto include it in every white deck. Like hmm. at four mana you're already pretty late to the game right like you are you want to be ramping and doing something already you don't want to play this creature that's just going to get uh murdered potentially by a board wipe and you know your opponents have already ramped so they're at uh more than four lands they're about to untap and do things and you're sitting here with a three four trying to like catch up uh mm. but land tax is the catch-up mechanic land tax is a great card right so i think the catch-up mechanic can nice. work but it needs to do something else and especially with ramp uh it needs to be earlier like they can make the most amazing eight mana white ramp spell but you're like what am i gonna do with this right <laughs> unless i'm a landfall deck it's like too slow right like this four mana conditional ramp is a bit slow which is why i think they felt the need to add soldier token making onto it like i don't know why you need both of these abilities uh but yeah i think i don't know i think i'd like to see more cards like land tax or something like that uh, but I do agree white needs a way to ramp I don't know if it needs to be explicit lands on the battlefield like black has a mana doubling red has rituals uh, I guess blue doesn't have any ramp yeah uh, <laughs> I, I don't know no, what you're no one cares about, about blue, blue oh come on be really <laughs> uh, just go simic like everybody else no come on. <laughs> I, I think making t gold tokens is like a fine like smothering tide is it's basically funny. the fixed card that tober wanted and we know how broken that is right like hmm. like make lotus petals uh to give you conditional ramp so that you're not just straight up you know taking green's yes. color pie uh but yeah, but I think I think this card is okay. Like I, I don't know, would you auto include this in every white deck? Like yes, you, yeah, I would. I it's mean, like, so slow. It, yeah, at the end of each mm. opponent's end step, like I think that's pretty. Like it's at every end step, not like at your upkeep or something miserable like that. I, so I think it, that it guarantees you catch up to like the green player right. after several turns, right? Kind of. But I mean, are you going to build like an expensive deck with this is like your ramp card? Like I don't know, like the like the the agency part that Tomer talks about. Like, what if you go first? What if you're ahead? Like, you can't get anywhere with this because you're not behind. What if you're not? A, what if you're not up against uh, green decks and people are all just ramping ahead with mana rocks, and then you just have a keeper of the cord in your hand? Or what if you cast a turn two Knight of the White Orchid? And somebody was ahead of you in lands, and you ramped with the Knight of the White Orchid, and then you top deck like a Keeper of the Cord, and you could play turn three, but now now you're caught up to everybody in terms of lands. And then I it mean, just doesn't do anything. 
I think you're all overlooking the token aspect too, though. Like we haven't even talked. We've uh, we focused on the ramp, but like, <laughs> well, yes, man, but it's it's kind of like a videomancer. I think the card is like if you can keep sacrificing the token for value or otherwise trading it off, skull clamping it, you're getting this steady stream of fodder and card advantage if you have skull clamp. So I think if you build around that, that ability, like yes, just like playing this and being like, oh, maybe I get some one once once in a while. That's not very exciting, but if you build around it with some sacrifice synergies, I think that could actually be a pretty powerful ability. So you do have, like, sure, you don't have much agency over either of its uh, mechanics or abilities, but because they're two and they're not really related to each other at all, at least you have, like, some chance, uh, even if the ramp isn't turned on, at least you can do stuff with the tokens. Or maybe you're, you know, not getting tokens, but you're being able to ramp. So that does increase the odds that you're doing something, even if you don't have much control over it. So I feel that ability makes the card worse. Because the it tokens? What? Because I feel like this is the thing where you start pumping out tokens and people murder your ramp before you get to ramp because oh, I think there's, people this, are gonna there's this the extra effect that makes it scary. Like, hmm. at least in our tables, like people are like ramp, yeah, okay, but like tokens, <laughs> wide board, what is this, right? <laughs> like, uh, that's, so, that's so many skull clamp targets. Exactly, right? Like, if you have a skull clamp on, like, good luck trying to ramp with this. As soon as people see this, it's like a instant removal target, right? So I actually feel that the ability makes the card better, and then people will kill it, therefore you won't get your ramp. Does that make any sense? Is that too backwards? I I mean, I don't know if I agree, but I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, Like, I see what you're saying, but I don't know if I view... 1-1 one, one tokens is scary enough that people are going to really go, like, super crazy killing it. But, but what if maybe, I have a skull clamp? Maybe they or will. Or if I have a sack outlet, like, you know, things I shouldn't do. No, if you're going to draw if you're <laughs> yeah, gonna draw you're, more you're, cards you're going to draw cards? Yes. White or not, you're, <laughs> what, you're what if I have a mentor of the beak, right? Like, you know, like... <laughs> the one mentor of the beak, they're never going to print another one. It's a color. <laughs> it was a mistake. <laughs> I, I actually agree with Seth that the tokens... I, I, I actually overlooked it a bit. I think with skull clamp or whatever. And white's really good at tutoring up equipment. That's one of the few things white's actually good at. Um, I I think the card is, is an automatic staple in like any mono white deck. I'm going to run it in every, any mono white deck. I'm going to put it in most Boros decks as well, probably, maybe. Uh, it's just... It, I don't want I don't want necessarily smothering tithe. I think smothering tithe is too strong and it's also an annoying mechanic. When somebody keeps saying, "Do you want to pay the two every single time you draw a card?" <laughs> That's hilarious. I just want to take like their table and flip it and just just their cards though. <laughs> just throw all those. Maybe like take like a, a leaf blower and just blow away all their tokens. Like it's just it's annoying. I don't like playing against it. Not power level specific or anything. Did I think you, that's too strong. One. <laughs> but, like, if Keeper of the Core just made coins, then it doesn't shut off all these other things, and it would be a little bit weaker, but I think it would be better and okay in the catch-up mechanic space because they don't cannibalize each other. Oh, that's my thoughts. Just give me land tax. Although, I will say, this is going <laughs> into my Armageddon deck. Land tax is, is the single strongest <laughs> card in white, and I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. Land tax, like, it puts the... Let- so this one lets you put lands on the battlefield, right? But, like, land tax lets you, quote-unquote, draw cards, right? And filling your hand has other benefits. And so deck maybe, deck. like, that kind of, like, ends. white has ramp. Like, what's that, like, four-mana card where you, like, exile any number of planes from your library or whatever, then you get to, like, oh, endless horizons. every turn. It's not as good. Yeah, like, there's a bunch of these effects. Like, Wizards has been playing with them, right? They just haven't decided on which one 
white gets, right? So, uh, but it looks like they're going catch up mechanic with Cartographer's Hawk and Keeper of the Accord. No more, man. No more of that. <laughs> just like, just there's so many things white is good at that you could just let them do good things based on those restrictions. Equipment, auras, small creatures, tokens, all those things are stuff that are in white's color pie that you can just. Let them draw cards based on having a lot of tokens or rewarding them for doing the white thing. Or just let them do, just let them expand into legendary tribal. Like, we have so many cards that care in white that care about legendary cards, like Thalia's Lancers, searches up for legendary. They're really good at finding planeswalkers. Like, all the, all the planeswalker tutors are in white. Uh, Historic was heavily pushed into white. Teshar is like one of the best, uh, mono white commanders and all about historic. So just, just take the legendary tribal stuff, knock it out of Green's grubby little fingers, and then put it in white. Just vivid. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll fix it for you. So they, they like to tax things, right? Like whenever a player no! casts a spe- second spell a turn or a second land, whenever yeah. a player has a second land enter the battlefield this turn, exile it, you may search your library for a planes to put it into play. Exile it. So, like so you, you, you basically Armageddon them for a single land, and then you ramp yourself. It's like a tax. You only play one land per turn. You play more than one, I take your land. I'm evil, but I don't think I agree with the exile part. I like the other part. I like they do the it with part. card draw, like alms collector, right? Richard just wants to turn everything into an Armageddon. Yeah, really. <laughs> I, I, want, I want you to, I like, like where this is going. Scapeshift, and I flash in my white creature. I'm like, sorry, no lands for you and then it's like a mandarin i get all the lands <laughs> richard's like he sees a problem and when everything he has is an armageddon all the problems are a land <laughs> <laughs> just give me Smash all this collector Smash. give me all this collector for lands i'll, I'll take it <laughs> or or oh oh narset for lands there <laughs> put, it, put it in terms I, that I, can understand <laughs> thank you now i get it (laughs) that's also that's also like the 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 biggest complaints that i see the biggest arguments is like white is already good it doesn't need to be good at ramp because it has mld people just have to be okay with mld and i am okay with mass land destruction i am all for it but you have to you have to understand that the community the commander community at large doesn't like playing against it and like as much as I'm going to yell as until I'm blue in the face that like white and red are lacking in ramp and their easy safety valve to make sure that they keep up with everybody is land destruction. It's not gonna it's not gonna roll. And Wizards of the Coast is not printing any more mass land cards, mass land destruction cards out there. They they've went on record saying that's not something they want in the in the modern game. So we're not gonna get that. So we should just move on from that. And also just not, yeah, if it's not fun for people, people are not going to be okay with you running it. So we have to find a different solution than just like Armageddon. <laughs> add a bunch yeah, of Armageddon Memes aside, effects, we're never getting land white, destruction. Yeah. And we're never getting like a balance effect where it lowers everyone's. Uh, yeah. I could see a balance that does the opposite, right? That raises like everyone to the highest the level. The cycle. So. So you all ramp for something, but yeah, because yeah, the they don't cycle. want you. Uh, so basically, the the problem with white is you don't ramp, so you don't get to play your spells. And then when you Armageddon, that's literally giving the problem to everyone else. Like now, no one can play their spells, <laughs> <laughs> right? So they don't want to do that. So they'll never print these kind of like, you know, taxing effects on lands. Like same with uh, Winter Orb and things like that. Like that's that's gone. That's like yep. obsolete magic. Uh, so catch up mechanics. 
maybe even crazier catch-up mechanics. But basically, if someone's out the gate fast, like everyone else, go fast too, as opposed to everyone slow down. Yeah, and non-creature tax is fine. Thalias are fine, but you can't ever really tax creatures in white, I don't think. Yeah. All right, so we've gone super long. Wow. Shall we... Uh, Whoops! <laughs> <laughs> shall we talk about... Ask, uh, go do fish mail. Uh, yes, let's let's fish mail it. If you have questions, send them to at Fish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Jay Havaskas. After watching Saffron all of lose because he conceded when he could have won, I wanted to ask him and the Asian Avenger, why concede when playing online if you would lose the next turn anyway? Why not do nothing and make the opponent win and bluff a little? Oh, oh man, that's... Okay, so I, I feel like I just concede because... I don't know, I'm just... I'm used to just... Like, like from streaming and whatnot, like be playing for like long hours and like, okay, this game's done rather than, you know, I, I just want to get to the next match. I just want to get to the next match each time. Yeah, I, I mostly agree with that. I think it's a lot about just wanting to move on to the next match. And I think like if it's literally like one turn, I should probably do a better job of just letting it play out. But I think like people also always think you're scooping early and then they're like, well, do you really want me to sit here for like, 40 turns as my opponent tucks their own to fairy, so I don't like quote unquote scoop early. So I think there has to be like a, a middle ground there. Uh, but yes, so I think it's mostly because I think it's plus EV to like play more magic rather than like sit there for a couple turns and wait for your opponent to kill you. But I think if it really is just one extra turn, might as well just stick it out and let them officially kill you. I should do a better job of that. So for content, I would agree. For non content, I think Arena has really skewed this. Like, I am extremely bad at this now. Like, when I was younger, back in my uh, spring and fresh days, if there was a 1% chance I could win, I would sit there and grind it out, right? Like, I would sit there against the Folly and Drown Yard decks and be like, yeah, you're going to have to mill me before I draw my 1 out of 60 out. Nowadays, with Arena, that rewards you for playing super fast games. If I'm like, there's only a you know, 20% chance I'm going to win. I'll scoop. <laughs> like, the, the number is extremely high where I'm like, oh, I balled to five. I might as well just scoop and go to the next match, even though my win percentage only dropped by a couple because, like Seth said, like, that's probably still the correct choice, right? Even though you can win, uh, the amount, the time you need to grind that out just takes so long. Uh, it's just not worth it. And then plus your mental, right? Like, how mentally strong are you? Do you want to grind it out against, like, uh, a tucking to fairy and see them cast like a million nexus of fates or do you want to just say good game sir and move on to the next one so and and the way arena is set up it like rewards you for winning more than it punishes you for losing yeah so like if your goal is to rank up on the ladder like i don't know you might as well maximize your odds of winning matches rather than like trying to spend an hour winning a match that you have a low percentage uh, of winning like you'll rank up faster if you just scoop and go on and try to win the next match rather than grinding out low percentage chance uh games maybe we shouldn't talk about this on the podcast <laughs> we're just like rooting <laughs> we just like queue in and then they're like oh what is this quit quit you can never Goldfish get a match told us uh, to auto concede <laughs> if we don't have uh, if we multi six so uh, if you don't have your nut draw just scoop it up and look for your nut draw next game <laughs> so, someone's gotta run the math on this like calculate the average amount of time it takes you to win a game and if like, you can't win the game on like you know like in turn three or four should you scoop and go to the next one like, as soon as you see a, a Nexus deck or something, like, should you scoop and go to the next one if they're going to take forever to win? <laughs> I, I'm sure someone can come up with the actual EV on this. 
Uh, but anyway, Arena should award, reward things besides winning <laughs> So to prevent this. Eventine, when a game starts, if you win the coin flip, you always choose to go first, no matter if you're aggro, mid-range, combo, or control. Do you think it's unbalanced? What if the second player gets one usage of add one colorless mana token? Should we get the coin? I think that that would take a lot of testing. Like, yes, the person on the draw is disadvantaged. We have math to, like, back up. Usually, like, 8%-ish swing based on play draw for the most part. So we know it's a disadvantage. Uh, Would the coin even that out? Would it make it so it's now correct to choose to be on the draw because it's so powerful to have a free lotus petal? I think it would take a ton of testing to to uh, actually figure that out. We've seen wizards, a lot of their changes recently to try to do things like that end up leading to really big unintended consequences that make the game worse, like the London Mulligan rule, for example. So I'm a little nervous about wizards fiddling with too much stuff to try to fix it because a lot of times they end up breaking it more. I think there are ways to fix it without adding a coin. Uh, because games snowball out of control too quickly, the game, you know, whoever goes first gets the snowball first and they get the snowball and then they win. If the games were more even and closer such that, you know, a turn didn't matter. Like if a game is like, say, two turns, you go first, you get 50% more turns than your opponent, right? If a game is 10 turns, going first is not as much, right? It's only 10%. Uh, If you don't snowball as hard, it's not as bad to go second. But nowadays with the power creep, like the games just snowball out of control and like having that land or not to counter their game ending like two mana play is like a big deal, right? So I think if you just lower power level, you you kind of adjust for this. Uh, so I would fix it like that because yeah, I think adding a coin would make it probably the other way around. <laughs> like maybe you want to go second to get the extra mana to just end the game on the spot. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't uh, like the idea of the coin. I think the coin is a little too scary. <laughs> we stone now. Allison nine five two nine two seven two six. Do you think Errol would be balanced if it was white, green, blue to cast? <laughs> does it do? <laughs> does it still do what it does? <laughs> like that, I think that's the big thing for me, and it does. So no matter what, I feel like Uro is just—it's just a card that shouldn't shouldn't exist. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I don't think that would uh, take away all the issues. Le Parker, last question: Do you think it would be a positive thing if you could buy wild cards directly on Arena? If so, what do you think fair pricing would be? Oh boy! Uh, yes, I think uh, that would be a way to improve the Arena economy. I think people would be very upset at what the pricing would be, though. Based on what we've seen <laughs> from people like researching current prices, I would expect uh, from what we've seen, like fifteen, twenty dollars for a mythic, and like five to ten dollars for a rare. Because from what people who have like crunched the numbers uh, say, that's like roughly what you pay if you're not like grinding and getting free cards or rewards. Like if you're just trying to buy your uh, a mythic wild card. That's the numbers I've seen, like seven fifty ish for a rare, fifteen ish dollars for a mythic. So I think yes, that would be great, but I think the community would freak out because the price would be way higher than everyone would expect. I I think Runeterra actually did it recently, where they they sell their legendary wild cards and all that other stuff, and I feel like the pricing for them aren't that bad yet. So like they could kind of follow the Runeterra system. But Runeterra gives away lots of free cards. They're like very. Generous. It does. It, it, so it, I they mean, do. wizards could give away wild cards for free, but they're not going to. <laughs> they're going to charge but, you for it, right? But I mean, they still charge you, right? Like Runeterra still does charge you. Like like you have to spend money to get it. But 
I think the pricing on it isn't bad. I don't know. So all I know is Arena is insanely expensive. So, you know, we buy all of our cards. So uh, right. we buy all of our gems, right? I have the bill for Seth and Crim <laughs> and myself. And I'm just going to say, compared to Magic Online, like we spend a lot of money on Arena, right? Arena is a lot more expensive than uh, the other uh, the other formats, I guess. So I, I think Seth is right. Like if they were to charge for a Mythic Wild card, it would be super expensive and people would not be happy with it. So they're just going to obscure it, right? And not show you what price you're paying, right? Because you're just paying like $10 for a draft, $5 for a pack. Like you don't know how much it adds up, right? But imagine if your LGS sent you at the at the end of the year, like how much you spent at your LGS on Magic cards, right? People would probably do a double take, right? Like, yeah. hey, <laughs> Your collection is actually worth this much money. Did you know? I think people would be a little surprised at how much you spend on magic cards. And I don't think Wizards wants you to know that, right? They just want you to know that, like, hey, you spent $5 here, $100 at that Grand Prix, <laughs> $50 at that Magic Fest. Like, whatever. It's fine. It's just, like, entertainment money. They don't want you to see the real numbers because you'll be a little uh, a little shocked, I think. Uh, that's all the time we have for Fishville. We had a super long cast this week, but... We have Budget Commander Tomer here, so Oopsie. it's all good. Uh, if you have questions, uh, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag MTGFishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that that brings us to the end of episode 291 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, Krim, Tomer, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. We will be back next week to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic. Until then, have a wonderful week, and this is the crew signing out. We'll